When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over at The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light the Fuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, April 14th, 2023. And how are you doing this evening, Drew? Oh, you know, another another day in paradise, Jim. Another week coming to a close. You know, there's nobody I'd rather spend it with than you. What do they always say? The, the, the secret to success is sincerity. If you can fake that, you can fake anything. <laughs> <your, so>, so, <laughs> Got to work never, on that one, Drew. <laughs> okay. April 14th, at least. You know, we know that the folks at Illumination, Nintendo, and Universal will remember this date. Uh, because what is it? Today was the day that the Super Mario Bros. movie became the number one film at the global box office for all of 2023, which I know, Drew, it's only four and a half months long, and, you know, there's a lot of other films coming over the horizon and a certain Mission Impossible film. Well, there was a, there was an Ant-Man movie that was out, you know, and, the, you know, there was Dun- Dungeons and Dragons. We had a, a lot of uh, would-be heavy hitters. Yeah, but Super Mario Brothers, just nine days into its domestic release, or, or, or worldwide release, has already topped $500 million worldwide box office. And this has turned this Illumination production into the biggest opening ever for an animated title worldwide. If you talk with folks in exhibition, they will point to the fact that Super Mario Brothers is only an hour and 32 minutes long versus, say, John Wick, which is two hours and 49 minutes, or uh, Avatar Way of Water, that's three hours and 12 minutes. So when you have an hour and 32 minute runtime, you can get in a lot more presentations per day. So this box office number, that's impacting it. Though, did you see the story just today about the one place that this animated feature seems to be underperforming is China, that it's only done $12 million worth of business there? Well, it seems like China is kind of off the table right now with American movies. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and, and let's also remember that, you know, uh, the folks at Universal were very, very smart about putting this in theaters that the Wednesday before Easter. And also, let's not forget that April is a month when a lot of school systems around the country will give the kids a week off. So it's the right film at the right time, uh, which is why, again, according to the trades today, it's now the highest grossing movie adaption of a video game of all time. And just before we started the show here tonight, went over the deadline and they've got their Friday night box office report. They're suggesting that Mario Brothers will pull in an additional 72 million uh, in North America this coming weekend, which will be the second best weekend ever domestically for an Illuminations film. 
Well, I think they thought that this movie was going to be big for kids, but it's turned mm-hmm. out to be huge for everyone, and that is what is driving this kind of oversized box office. I also have an interesting anecdote from my Q&A over the weekend, Jim. Well, please share. Which is that, you know who wrote the first draft of the movie? None other than our very favorite, Alex Hirsch. Really? I want to read this. Yeah, that would be fun to read. When I'm sure it is in the vault, you know, 70 floors below Nintendo headquarters in Japan. But it is an interesting thing to think about. Somebody somewhere has access to that. Again, share the toys, folks. Share the toys. Speaking of Mario, Nintendo, that sort of thing. Stateside version of Super Nintendo World, which opened February 17th of this year. Still hugely popular. Long lines are persisting uh, for the... This theme park's Mario Kart Bowser Challenge, which, by the way, Drew got on. Um, you were like the second person to get out of it, if not the first, right? <laughs> I was there early. I was an early adopter, but I my score still sucks on uh, on Mario Kart, Jim. I'm sure you could. Well, no, no, no. Face it. You, you have to be two-thirds of the way through <laughs> with that visor technology before you finally sort of figure That's out what true. you're doing. That's true. So it's one of those things where it's like, I got to get back on this ride. So I now I now know how to do this. But uh, with so many thousands of people per hour pulsing through the queue there through uh, Bowser's Castle, this is the part where we talk about how people suck, Drew. Because the thing, you're waiting in line and, and a lot of folks are, are using this opportunity while they're standing there in line to reach out and see what they can reach. So for example... The chains on the drawbridge at Bowser's Castle, they're just below the giant head on the outside of the building. When Len, Jim Shul, and I were were touring the attraction just last month, they were already falling apart because people would just walk by, grab them, shake them, and they were largely made out of plastic and styrofoam, so they were coming apart there. And I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that's popping up on social media where people are are hopping over the barricades so they can now get their picture taken being seated in the throne. I did see that. I thought that was very disappointing. People used to be more courteous at theme parks. In Japan, where the original Super Nintendo World opened uh, 2021 or thereabouts, it's still pristine because the Japanese have great respect for, it's like, okay, there's a a rope. I can't go on the other side of the rope because there's a rope. Where in America, it's like, oh, watch me hop over the rope and go sit in the chair. Listen, were people nicer at theme parks when they were also wearing slacks? I, <sighs> I don't know, Jim. I want to I wanna say maybe there's a correlation there. Hashtag bring back slacks. YouTube lately has this amazing spate of home movies from Disneyland from like 55, 56, 58. And just to watch how people used to dress when they went to Disneyland, is is just kind of startling. I mean, you know, women in gowns with hats and tiny little bags and guys with, with shirts with collars and ties, you know, guys in suit coats, you know, bringing their families to this extra special place. So Now the only tiny little bags they have are those hideous lounge fly bags. <laughs> yes, which Disney will sell you at a Oh, yes, yeah. so so, every single yeah. configuration, yes. There you go. 
Oh, okay. All right. Enough complaining about the mouse. We have lots more animation news to get to, folks. But before we do that, I want to remind you that the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay. We mentioned uh, top of the show that we are recording this on April 14th. And this is when Suzume? Suzume. You did it, Jim. That's it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I hooked on phonics. <laughs> well, I was I was calling it Suzume until I, mm-hmm. I watched it last night and actually heard the characters say her name. So, yes. Well, all right. Just to be clear here, Suzume. I, you did it. I, I better. <laughs> I did it. Okay. It's opening in North American theaters. Today, uh, in both a subtitled Japanese version as well as an English dub. And why this is significant is this animated film was released by Toho in Japan back in November of last year. Hugely popular to the point where it's now the fourth highest grossing Japanese film of all time. It's been heavily praised for its animation, characters, story, and especially the emotional weight uh, I've got a log line here, Drew, that says this two-hour and two-minute-long film is about a high school girl and a mysterious young man trying to prevent a series of disasters across Japan. So you've seen this Makatoto Shinkei movie. What did you think? I loved it. I mean, this is the guy that did Weathering With You and mm-hmm. uh, Your Name, which are also mm-hmm. two of the most popular movies in Japan and popular animated mm-hmm. movies in Japan. And it is it is absolutely wonderful. I think this is maybe my favorite one of the bunch. Wow. Okay. The thing they left out of the synopsis is that for most of the movie, the male protagonist mm-hmm. has been turned into a three-legged chair. Um, I... <laughs> I was reading that in in the outline. It was like, okay, that that's interesting. Yeah, it's a it's really great. It's sort of a road trip movie. They're kind of you know going to these kind of disused locations. There's a lot of imagery mm-hmm. from the um, from the tsunami and the nuclear meltdown from a few years ago. Oh. So that gives it a real kind of emotional punch. Okay. And okay. yeah, the animation is just beautiful. I mean, you've seen if you've seen this movies, you know mm-hmm. what it's like. But I, I can't wait for you to see it, Jim. I think you're gonna really, really okay. love it. And you can okay. see it in a dubbed version or a subtitled version. I watched the subtitled version, obviously, because I am a, mm-hmm. a man of letters. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's uh, it's really great. It's just really, really great. And it's on two thousand screens, so you can definitely see this this weekend if it's something that you want to do. I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, I, I was just checking and, and literally there are two theaters within 20 miles of here where we can go see this. So it's like that's great to see that it has this sort of penetration out there. On the other hand, I, you know, again, I just cheated, read the outline. So it's <laughs> giant supernatural worms call it causing earthquakes. I'm, I'm sorry, that sounds more Stranger Things to me than... It, there is a little Stranger Things element, but it's... Um... Yeah, it's just a lovely movie. It's sort of indescribable, but obviously very mm-hmm. emotional. And yeah, can't say enough good things about it. One of my favorite movies of the year so far, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a strong recommendation. We'll go check that out. Now, speaking of Stranger Things, production of the final season of this Netflix show is supposed to begin in June, and it will then show up on that streaming service sometime in t- uh, 2024. But this Duffer Brother production 
is going to live on as an animated series, which the Duffer Brothers are really excited about because it's going to be done in the style of a classic Saturday morning animated series. Yeah, I can't wait to see what that looks like. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, they released a statement to Variety about this, and, and, and particularly hyping Eric Robles and Flying Bark Productions. They're the ones who are going to handle the translation to animation. And, and Robles is previously associated with the animated shows Random Cartoons, Fanboy and Chum Chum, which was great fun, and and Glitch Techs. And they went on to say. Well, the Duffers, in their statement to Variety, said, We've always dreamed of an animated Stranger Things in the vein of a, the Saturday morning cartoons that we grew up loving, and to see this dream realized has been absolutely thrilling. We couldn't be more blown away with what Eric Robles and his team have come up with. The scripts and the artwork are incredible, and we can't wait to share more with you. The adventure continues. And speaking of uh, adventures continuing... Did you attend the HBO Max Max rebranding thing? I or, didn't. Or... I was watching along at home. I was fiendishly writing everything up uh, okay. in the moments before. You know, it's one of those things where they give you the embargo and then you have to kind of like wait until the actual presentation says mm-hmm. it and then it mm-hmm. can go up. So I think the Max branding is absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Clearly, no one at Warner Brothers Discovery has ever used a search engine or uh, mm-hmm. thought about that in their lives because mm-hmm. the word Max means nothing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. Did you watch a lot? It was a busy week, so I was sort of watching this from afar. But what Drew's talking about here is that May 23rd, uh, HBO Max rebrands, and, and this is them chasing the family audience, right? J.B. Perrette, the uh, Warner Brothers president and the CEO of Global Streaming, talked about the problem was with HBO Max that evidently that cable channel's longtime association with adult material kind of dinged them, right? He, he said something to the effect of HBO Max was not exactly where parents were eager to drop off their kids, and yet Warner Brothers Discovery has some of the best-known kid characters, animation, and brands in the industry. So this is all about achieving its full potential. Yeah. You pointed out this is also about Warner Brothers Discovery taking on Disney Plus, right? Yeah. I mean, the amount of times they brought up the Looney Tunes or Mm -hmm. Hanna-Barbera during that Mm -hmm. presentation was very pointed, I thought. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have also been canceling a lot of animated projects, including mm-hmm. shows that uh, and movies that involved the Looney Tunes uh, or Hanna-Barbera. But, yeah, it seemed like a very pointed attack to mm-hmm. try to challenge Disney. And I thought that the, maybe the, the move would be to recontextualize what HBO means. I think you mm-hmm. and I, who have watched HBO for many, many years, know that oh, yeah. Fraggle Rock mm-hmm. was first on HBO and uh, yeah. things like the ghost of Fafner Hall and, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. all of this kind of kitty-related mm-hmm. things were on it. And so I don't know why they don't just reinvest in the HBO branding, making that wider or calling it something like Warner Max. But um, Max it is, Jim. Okay, okay. And you mentioned the number of things that got canceled. Uh, One of the, uh, but of course, 
when you're being produced by a Steven Spielberg, you know, the people who are a little, a little more hesitant about canceling you. So if we could talk for a moment about Gremlin Secret of the Mugway, which this is a prequel, right, to the the original, the, the film from 84, as well as its 1990 sequel. Yeah, it's set in Shanghai in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other, th- yeah, and, and they showed a trailer, but you're right. The other thing that they were really talking mm-hmm. up, speaking of Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. was Tiny Toons Lunaversity. Yeah. Which the Animaniacs thing kind of came and went in a blink. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if they're going to invest more into this, but yeah. What did you think of the Gremlins trailer? It's solid. And we've talked about this previously that they announced even before this, this aired that a second season had been put in production, but you you always called that a liar, liar, pants on fire. Because yes. it's like, no, you greenlit 20 episodes right from the get-go. So this was never about, oh, we're going to do a second season. This is a surprise. It's like you were always going to do yeah. 20 episodes. You didn't, you didn't so, reconvene the storyboard no. artist. It, it, it was, it's, yeah. It's 20 episodes and you don't have to increase anybody's pay for the second 10. Good on Mm. you guys. Yeah. (laughs) So we were just talking about Disney Plus and we got a brand new trailer for David Lowry's uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, uh, which drops on May 28th. And I have to say, Drew, I was not aware that Jim Gaffigan was Smee in this thing, but I have to say, you know, Big doughy white guy in this role. I'm in. <laughs> you know, you, you wanted like, that little pig nose guy from Mandalorian a couple of weeks ago to be Smee. <laughs> oh, that could have been cool too. <laughs> in the best of all possible worlds, it would have been Bob Hoskins again. He was the only person that, that I'm aware of who got to play Smee in two entirely different projects. There was, of course, Spielberg's Hook. And then there, there was that sort of gritty live-action Peter Pan series of, from a couple of years ago, and uh, he was back as me as that. But Jim Gaffigan, that, that's a fun idea. All right, speaking of, of Disney+, Plus, Star Wars Celebration, wrapped in London this past weekend. Okay, in fact, did you see our very bleary friend Dan Z making his way back? I, I saw his and, I saw his long hair. He was he was really going for that kind of hip youth pastor kind of vibe. <laughs> you know, he was Oh you know. that, uh, come on. Dan has always been hip. Yeah, well and you know, it creates extremely square sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Wherever yeah, he is in <laughs> Illinois or whatever, he's the he's the epitome of cool. But yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, no, so. it looked Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm very glad I didn't go because there wasn't really anything announced that was particularly interesting, and um, none of the stuff really that they released really got my blood pressure up. But you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad everybody had a good time and and uh, mm-hmm. got to hang out. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah. But animation related news: we we found out uh, Bad Batch has been renewed for a third and final season. In fact, the uh, last episode of the 16 that were up for season two aired earlier this month we also have an amazing trailer for star wars vision season two that just looked killer yeah i cannot wait cannot wait Mm -hmm. yeah so all nine episodes drop on may 4th there uh, any other animation-related news coming out of London? That well, I mean, there was the fact that Dave Filoni is is graduating to an entire movie, which you yeah. know that is very interesting. 
and then there was you know some of the Jedi young Jedi stuff which oh that's cute. right that's right which by the way is getting a full retail program surprise surprise I mean Nubs Nubs is a is a teddy bear I I I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Okay, there we go. And, and, and speaking of, of Disney finding new ways to cash in, what did you make of this announcement at the shareholders meeting on April 4th about a live-action Moana? Oh, we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. I don't know if you remember my big chat with Sean Bailey from a couple of years ago, but I went back and looked at it to make sure I was correct. But he, he told me mm-hmm. that the cutoff... For yep. the kind of live action remakes, and this is on Vulture. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to look it up, it's a great, great piece. Mm-hmm. If I do say so myself, but it is, it is. Uh, yeah, he said that it was, you know, it was like the late '90s, early 2000s is kind of the cutoff. Mm-hmm. I think, I think even that Lilo and Stitch is kind of pushing it. But to have a movie it, that came out in 2016, mm-hmm. be remade. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might as well put them in production at the same time. It's Dwayne Johnson is not only producing, but He's supposedly coming back as Maui. I think the phrase you're looking for, Jim, is creatively bankrupt. But I could be wrong. I could be. You could be searching for another phrase. I think that with Black Adam and all, he has found himself yep. with a lot of time on his hands and a lot of, um, mm, you know. Yeah. So he, you are not wrong. It's a it's, it's a very wrong. safe bet. But who knows? Maybe it'll be wonderful to watch. How just in like the last year. Disney is seriously in the Moana business. And and we're not just talking about the Moana journey of water thing, which you see the other bit of news coming out of uh, the shareholders meeting to the effect of uh, that's the last thing that's being done for the Epcot upgrade expansion. Hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, when Disney Hollywood Studios Phantasmic came online again, uh, you know, in November of last year, it had a Moana number in it. And in fact, you were the one, I think, who pointed out that when the two new Disneyland Resort shows, Wondrous Journey at the Disneyland Park, and likewise the, the new Lagoon show for DCA one, don't they have virtually the same scene from Moana? Yes. You know, the, the, yes. You know. But it's interesting because Moana, when it came out, and I always point this mm-hmm. out to people, like, was not a huge movie. Didn't make as much money as... Zootopia, I think it made about half oh, domestically. No. Didn't win the it Oscar. Did. It did. Nope. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, people love it. It's sort of, mm-hmm. I don't know, what what's an equivalent to that in terms of kind of a rediscovery? I don't know. And in fact, you know, what what's also fascinating, and remember, just to sort of circle back uh, to Disney Plus now, we've got Moana the series coming, right? For Disney Plus. Yes, which I've heard is, is going very well. I reached out to our friend Amy Astley, you know, when when the news mm-hmm. happened, and I said, "Well, does this affect the show at all?" And mm-hmm. she said, "No." And it's, okay. uh, yeah, she said it's really, really great. So, mm-hmm. cannot wait well, to see more of that. Okay, okay. By the way, folks, on the second half of today's show, we're going to be talking about another animated project that you probably know from the Disney version, but is going to take a very, very dark turn when it shows up on uh, Max in the not-so-distant future. But but first, this... Earlier in, in this week's episode, 
Drew and I were talking about Max, uh, you know, the rebranding of HBO Max, and wanted to take a moment here to shine a spotlight on a, a particular animated project that they've now got in the works. In fact, was this also talked up as part of the the rebranding yes. thing online? Yes. Okay. All right. So this is an all-new animated version of that classic tale, Peter and the Wolf. And if you don't know Peter and the Wolf, folks, this was a symphonic fairy tale for children that Sergei Prokofiev wrote back in 1936. And how many children's symphonies have performed this thing? I mean, the gimmick is that there's a narrator and the orchestra, literally different instruments within the orchestra are different characters. I want to say... Uh, isn't the duck Sasha like an oboe or... And How the, do you know the, the names hundred... of these animals, Jim? That's really... No math, no science. <laughs> you know, again, the brain is full of things that are absolutely useless. <laughs> you know, so Prokofiev, when he's touring the United States in 1938, he visits Los Angeles and sits down with Walt Disney. He, he then performs the piano version of Peter and the Wolf. In fact, there's an early episode of the Disneyland TV show where they actually recreate this moment. And then they just sort of pivot into the animated version of uh, Peter and the Wolf that Disney produced, which was initially put into production to be a piece of the second version of Fantasia. And, and no, we're not talking about the one that debuted in theaters in December of 2000. This was the one that was supposed to follow the original Fantasia, which began its roadshow launch in November of 1940. But the idea was two years later, a brand new iteration of Fantasia with about four and five new peak chunks in it would, would go out into theaters and, you know, and go into the exact same theaters that had that amazing Fantasound set up. And what's kind of interesting is that the two things that were actually put in production while Fantasia, you know, was launching into theaters, there was Claire de Lune, which you've seen, folks. This is the one that has the two egrets flying over the Everglades at night. And, and then there was Peter and the Wolf. But when the original Fantasia came out and its roadshow version really underperformed, in fact, I, what is it? It lost a million dollars for the company in, in, in 1940. And they were already animating these two chunks for the new version. And so what they ended up doing was eventually during the war years, they, they were, you know, production was halted and they only revisited it after World War II ended and then, well, repurposed them for a package feature that Disney released in 1946 called Make Mine Music. And kind of interesting little side story about uh, Make Mine Music. Walt kind of revisits the roadshow idea, Drew. Again, uh, you know, he, he puts it in the Globe Theater in New York, which, by the way, today is known as the L'Enfantin, you know, where Beauty and the Beast moved to after it was at the Palace Theater, but vacated the Palace Theater to make way for Aida. And it played there for like, 13 years, uh, you know, and then ultimately shut down to make room for the Broadway version of The Little Mermaid. But yeah, it, it played in New York for about three months at the Globe, and only in August of 1946 did it finally go out 
into theaters around the country. And it, it did okay. And then after that, what the Disney company did, in fact, for much of its 75-year history, Disney's version of Peter and the Wolf became a standalone featurette. You know, it, it was a 15-minute long chunk and what Disney would do was just, you know, cut it straight out of the film, tack it onto other, you know, other movies that were putting out into theaters or show it on television or, you know, how many of the VHS compilations is Peter and the Wolf in. There is a history, though, of, of disused Fantasia sequel <laughs> segments getting out elsewhere. I feel like there, I feel like almost everything from the follow up to Fantasia 2000 has come out almost everything right like oh god you're little right match about, what, 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 girl the little match girl yeah. one by one yep. there, there was like an african one uh or something that's right uh, they, i mean they were yeah wow <laughs> thank you for putting it another, out we'll do another episode on the <laughs> the fantasia 2000 ones yeah they didn't learn it's like oh this is gonna be such a hit let's let's get fantasia three you know get ready to go but all right so disney version of Peter and the Wolf. Definitely worth checking out. I mean, if only for the fact that four of the nine old men worked on it. Ward Kimball, John Lonsbury, Eric Larson, and I'm blanking the other one. But it's wonderfully animated. It's got some legitimate scares. But when we now talk about what what's in the works for Max and, and their take on, on Peter and the Wolf, Boy, this goes a lot darker. Uh, do, do you want to talk about that, Drew? Or, um, I can, oh. sure. I mean, okay. well, did we? We should talk that that this version mm-hmm. of Peter and the Wolf is mm-hmm. um, was produced or what uh, by mm-hmm. none other than your favorite musical artist, Jim, the voice mm-hmm. of a generation, Bono. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny you break that up because I, I am reading. There is a wonderful behind-the-scenes book about the the making of Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. Oh, I've always wanted to read that, but I have not. Is it great? It's written from the point of view of of her collaborator on the project, and it just it's it's sort of like you know you're getting the story of the Titanic from the guy who played in the quartet on the deck. Yes. Do you want me to talk about how they're they're shooting this version, basically? Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's yeah. a it, it is traditional hand drawn two D animation, and mm-hmm. it's got a beautiful sort of mm-hmm. sketchy look to it. But mm-hmm. they it is, I don't know, and I don't know how this is being produced, but it is two dimensional animation set against a physically built mm-hmm. world. So, uh, and then, you know, the darkness that Jim is referring to uh, goes Mm -hmm. a little deeper. Peter Mm -hmm. is now a grieving 12-year-old who is in Mm -hmm. the care of his grandfather after enduring the loss of a parent. Upon Mm -hmm. hearing stories of a wolf on the loose, Peter decides to explore the vast meadow and forest nearby to try to find the wolf himself. Along Mm -hmm. the way, he encounters creatures who help him on his quest while contending with hunters aiming to win a prize of capturing the wolf. So, yeah, this is a little different, Jim, than the, you know, rosy-cheeked uh, <laughs> uh, Disney version. No, absolutely. But but the other thing that fascinated me, uh, you know, again, out of the, the stories that are out there, that it's being developed with the support of the Irish Hospice Foundation. Can you share what, what uh, director Gav- Gavin Friday had to say about 
this upcoming H or Max release? Are you referring to a short film about Peter and the Wolf or what he refers to as a bomb for any child dealing with loss? He says the messaging of vigilance, Mm. bravery, and resilience that were Mm. core to the original symphony are still echoed throughout our interpretation. But we spin Mm. a traditional fairy tale into a unique adaptation that also incorporates the topics of loss, redemption, and recovery. It's our hope that this Peter and the Wolf becomes a balm for any child dealing with loss, alongside, alongside exposing and captivating them into the wonderful and musical world of Protov... You know what is always good, Jim, when you talk about exposing something to a child in a press release. Um, But, yeah. All right. To sort of circle back to the Spider-Man turn off the dark thing, Bono and Julie Tamer were both excited about how they could take the Marvel comic books and tie them to Greek mythology. So you know, Of course they were, Jim. Of course they were. Bono's always been an ambitious guy. You know, sort of, you know, we can elevate material. And, well, look, kids grieve too. I guess I'm going to have to wait to see this. Yeah. Um, because the one piece of, of art they have of poor 12-year-old grieving Peter, you know, sort of eyeballing what looks to be an imaginary sketched out wolf in, in, in white. It's a strong image, you know. I mean, sure. I, I, I guess I'm willing to give this a shot, but it's standing at the outside of it, it's like okay. And knowing the the Disney version as well as I do, you know. I oh, and by the way, the the I'm I'm kicking myself. The the fourth of the the nine old men who worked in this, Ollie Johnston. I love that. Well, they they made it very clear that this is a mm-hmm. um, short film, and it mm-hmm. seems very much being teed up as a competitor for next year's Oscar. Much in the same way Apple Plus was, uh, you know, crowing about how they won for the boy and the fox and the whatever. The, the horse and the mole. And the horse yes, and the which, mole, which, yes. This looks which, uh, less uh, adorable than that <laughs> short, but yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But again, look forward to seeing it. And and speaking of things that, though, that I'm looking forward to, the latest installment of Drew's delightful Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, which, of course, you do with Charles Hood. So what's up this week? This week, actually, is going to be a real treat for people who don't want to listen to us gab for very long. We are actually just repackaging the Tom Cruise interview uh, from our 200th episode as a little standalone. So if you, for some reason, miss that or want to revisit just that part and don't want to wade through two hours of, mm-hmm. of other nonsense, we are going to mm-hmm. put it up. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun for people. And I hope uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, that that is a great it's a great entry point for the show. Um, wow. So, yeah. All right. So to you get your dessert first. Yes, oh, exactly. that's cool. Exactly. All, right. All right. Wow. Yeah. OK. So but again, folks, that that. You know, light the fuse. Uh, you know, and by the way, if you could do Mr. Taylor and I have a favor, uh, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, uh, fine tuning, but also light the fuse. Uh, that would be helpful. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. Uh, likewise, just want to remind you, we do have a couple other podcasts here that are. Worth checking out. Uh, we have Disney-ish with Lentesto. We have Marvel Us Disney, 
which I do with Aaron Adams, the the talented gentleman who edits the podcast here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, and who also, by the way, has his own uh, podcast, Thirty Second Street. Uh, which is about uh, you know the ins and outs of the advertising world. That that's well worth checking out. And sometime this weekend, Brian Gunn and I will be recording a brand new looking at Lucasfilm. Where we'll do a deeper dive on the stuff uh, Drew and I just touched on uh, in regards to Star Wars Celebration in London. But uh, let's see. Beyond that, Drew uh, again. Oh, you know, I always enjoy following you on social media. Where are we these days? I mean, I'm I mean, still on Twitter, even though it's becoming more and more difficult to use. So Drew Tailored on Twitter and Instagram, and um, mm-hmm. that's it. Where can people find you, Jim? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And... I guess that's going to do it for this week, folks. Um, so thank you for, on, on behalf of Mr. Taylor and myself, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon. <laughs>